That's it, okay. All right, well, let's get spiritual. Habakkuk chapter two. Like, I might even give you guys a moment because that's one of those you don't really frequent that much. You know, he preached while Jeremiah was preaching. Same generation. Uh, Zephaniah was the other one under King Josiah. You had Jeremiah, Habakkuk, and Zephaniah. So not very many men saw the warning of what was coming upon their nation um, during that time because the political landscape was favorable. Like you had a good king, king that turned to the Lord with his whole heart, but uh, we'll get to that. Everyone at Habakkuk chapter two, stand when you're there for the reading of the word. Sorry, usually I include that, but I just started babbling, didn't I? You guys, I need to apologize ahead of time. Uh, Allie's birthday party was last evening, and I don't think I even got to bed till after 3 a.m. <laughs> and so I'm like, Lord, thank you for, you know, just rest and peace in my soul and not sleepy blabby mind in the name of Jesus. Anyway, Habakkuk chapter 2, just going to read verse 2, and I'll uh, teach from some of the other verses here in a second, but... Uh, Verse two says, then Yahweh answered me and said, write down the vision and make it on tablets distinctly that the one who reads it may run. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Lord, I love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your voice that's living and active, that it's alive in these words, that it pierces our hearts, that it calls us close into you, to who you are, how you think and feel even in the environment with which we live today. And so we just thank you for these precious words and this love letter to us. Um, Even in the warnings when you call us out from sin into righteousness to walk with you in the light. And so we thank you for this prophecy that you gave Habakkuk. We thank you for your breath and your scripture. We thank you that your word will run swiftly, that it will be glorified. And that Holy Spirit, you're present to exalt Jesus in our hearts and our minds. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would touch us in our minds so that we'd be able to understand and comprehend with all the saints and that you would touch our hearts so that we could feel the proper emotional content with the information that you're uh, releasing today. And so we love you so much. We bless you. We thank you for your presence. We thank you for your word and your spirit. Amen. You may be seated. I meant to get that thing, that vision thing and bring it up here. I feel a little bit uncomfortable and out of my like comfort zone tonight. And the reason being is um, I've never been what, what you'd call like a company guy. Like when I worked at Home Depot, like I didn't want to wear their t-shirt because it's like I don't want to be the company guy. And even in the military, like I worked with guys that were like, I joined the military because I like the uniform. I'm like, it's a strange reason to join the military. To me, it was. But some guys like the uniform, and that's like why they join. But to me, I'm just like, I couldn't wait to get out of it when I get home. It's just like getting out of my work clothes. Um, even in starting the House of Prayer and building the ministry over the last eight years, I'm not super impressed with quick horizontal growth. I want meaningful growth that goes deep. And so to do that, like we've done almost everything the opposite that you're supposed to do as a church planner. Um, Because it's just, I don't want width. I want depth and meaningful relationships with God and people. And so that takes hard work, that takes labor. And when you build slower and deeper instead of 
fast and wide, then when you get to the point where there is some width, it's like you've gone somewhere with people for years building a culture. Um, and so anyway, the point is, like, I'm usually not your company guy. I don't do things traditional ways. And so I feel outside of my comfort zone because here I am, the pastor, teaching from Habakkuk 2, write down the vision and make it plain, and teaching about our ministry vision. And so I feel so cliche right now. And so just, Lord, help me. Amen. That was just kind of the caveat. But uh, tonight's message is titled, What Are We Running To? This is a question. What are we running to or what are we, what are we running towards? What are we running for? Why are we, why are we running? Um, and so I'm going to be opening up the scripture a little bit. But uh, instead of being a teacher, which I normally f- flow in, which I think is my natural bent, I'm coming to you more as like just the pastor and the visionary, like the human builder of S.A. Tabernacle. I know like Jesus is in all things and like we don't do anything apart from him. But just as kind of the guy that's gotten to do this with him the last eight years, I'm coming to you as that more of just a fatherly role. Um, Because this is the last time I'm going to get to preach before Allie and I go on sabbatical. So we've got two more Saturdays. We'll be with you guys before we're out for a month. Um, But I was really torn on on what to bring tonight. Uh, There were so many options. There were so many things on my heart this week that I just couldn't get settled really into one thing. Um, There was just so many things that my soul was like grabbing onto as I look at the landscape of, you know, either the nations, the nation, our state, our city, our community, our relationships. I'm like, man, Lord, like, what are you saying? Because I could easily talk about all these things. And it kind of made sense for me to, especially since I took the last two sessions I was up, to talk about the issue of separation of church and state and how the church has been lied to and that, in modern terms, that phrase has been flip-flopped to be a protection from the government from, or for the government from the church when actually it's a protection for the church from the government and it's the church's duty to engage the state at an appropriate level to help the state be the state, to use Bonhoeffer's simple terms. And so I'm like, should I do a part three and like, go vote and like, here's our values and stuff. And I feel like, you know, at this point, if you can't see the landscape of what's going on, like there needs to just be a complete peeling back and just really finding the Lord um, to seek clarity and righteousness in this situation um, for our nation. But uh, anyway, so I was kind of thinking about that. Like, do I do a voting message? And, you know, just the Lord settled my soul just back in the simplicity of our vision. Like our vision, the Sathop vision. Now, it's not unique. I think it's a global thing, and I'll, I'll talk about that here in a second. Um, but it's back there in the back corner. I know we've got one up here. I meant to bring it up. It's not like you could read it if I had it up here, but just, you know, for visual sake. Like, they're there. And the first little bit, the sat hops horizon of eternal things. There's really four major points. It was a lot longer so you can bless Charles for condensing it because he made it into bite-sized pieces for us a couple years ago because I wrote this big, huge, like way, way more words than it needed to be. But he simplified it for us because, I mean, part of the scripture here in Habakkuk 2 is write it down but make it plain or make it distinct. 
And uh, so first one is we're a family knitted together by the bond of love. And I'm gonna discuss all four of these here later on, but uh, we're a family knitted together by the bond of love. Going deep in understanding and applying scripture. Keeping vigorous and private corporate life keeping vigorous private and corporate lives of prayer and all while giving unceasing adoration to Jesus. Now, I know the things that are set forth in literature and announcements and stuff. Maybe you remember some of the announcements because they're funny, but like when we put out paper, because I'm a funny guy, right? But when we put out stuff on the bulletin board or it's out on the table or like these vision boards and stuff, Um, You know, like when they're new, we look at them, but there comes a point where it's just kind of white noise. And especially those of us that are here every week or day in and day out, it's just this background thing that we don't really pay attention to because it's so easy to get sucked in the routine of just, you know, the things that we do and the things that we used to uh, and the things that we're used to. But I feel like it's a good season for us to kind of just consider the simplicity of these things to re-plumb line like who we are and what we're doing here and what is really the core vision of what's bringing us together and affects the community life. So I I really felt like it was most appropriate to just have kind of a family moment tonight um, and go through this afresh. Now, considering we're going on a sabbatical, I know I'm doing this backwards because... You know, I'm giving the vision before our sabbatical. And, you know, most times the pastor leaves and then he comes back and he's like, I've got this vision from the Lord. But um, again, like, just when have we done things the way you're supposed to do them? So seriously, though, I, I don't think like as Allie and I are heading off to sabbatical, I don't think it's like a new vision that we need. But it's just time to dust off the original call, so to speak, like in our hearts um, for myself and for all of us, really, and the leaders. And just ask God to help us like feel these things again. So it's not just like a list that's become white noise in the corner, stuck, stuck in the corner or in some like obscure spot on the Web page. Um, but to ask God to help us feel it again and let the flame of passion burn for what he's doing in the earth. And that we would really feel joy as we give our life, life to some of these things. So I wanna kind of set it up with going through Habakkuk 2 for a little bit with you. And then, and then talk about some of those, just those four little easy points to talk about who we are. And we'll get to some of the missional stuff you know, later on, especially when we have the House of Prayer Conference in January. But come back with me to Habakkuk chapter two, and we'll just start in verse one. I'm gonna read it, and then I have some thoughts. Uh, We'll go one through four. Um, Habakkuk is saying, I will stand on my guard post and station myself on the fortification, and I will keep watch to see what he will speak to me and how I may respond when I am reproved. And then Yahweh answered me and said, write down the vision and write it on tablets distinctly that the one who reads it may run. For the vision is yet for the appointed time. It pants towards its end and it will not lie. Though it tarries, wait for it. For it will certainly come and it will not delay. 
Behold, as for the proud one, his soul is not right within him, but the righteous will live by faith. Now, as, as I mentioned earlier in my like babble before we were starting, like Jer- Jeremiah was a contemporary of this prophet. And so if you remember Jeremiah's reign, this is, or Jeremiah's prophecy, this is during the days of King Josiah, is when most commentators and scholars will put Habakkuk. There's no date, there's no mention of a king, but uh, the reason they put it at that date is because he mentions an invading army coming into Judah. And so, and then it seems like he's living in a time of peace, even though they're seeing danger, So just based on what's written, they place him with Jeremiah prophesying in the days of King Josiah. So again, King Josiah was a righteous king, turned to the Lord with his whole heart. When he had the law read read to him, when he was just a young man as king, um, he began to weep and tore his clothes. And then he went on a rampage, clearing the land of idols. And one of the special things he did that not all of the good kings did, but him and Hezekiah when they took the idols out of the temple, they put the Davidic order of worship back in the temple. That's the singing Levites and the songs and the prayer and the prophecy to the Lord. And so King Josiah was a good, good king, but it's an interesting response he had when the law was read to him. He wept and rent his garments, and there was true repentance. When the, he had the law read before the nation, they heard it, and it says that he read it in their hearing, like in their organ was able to pick it up, but it never got to this place where the nation was able to weep over their sins. And so Jer- Jeremiah's word in that culture was, you guys are in trouble because you haven't rend your hearts. You haven't turned to the Lord with the whole heart. And we've talked about Jeremiah's story, but this is the context that Habakkuk's Preaching in. He saw the danger on the horizon just like Jeremiah did. He saw it in his generation. And when everyone around him was preaching peace, peace, when there was no peace, because they were looking at the exterior political situation without really assessing the hearts of the people in the nation, saying, as long as our political leaders are doing the right thing, the nation will be good. Um, But it was a terrible mistake that they had made. And uh, just a few short years later, they were carried off by Babylon into exile. And then after 70 years, you know, Ezra, Nehemiah come back to restore the temple and then the walls. And uh, when they brought the people from Babylon back to Jerusalem, remember, they read the law to them. And that's when the people were able to weep when they heard the words of the law. And that's where the verse comes from. The joy of the Lord is your strength. That's when the Levites were saying, don't don't weep, but rejoice because the joy of the Lord is your strength. This is actually a day for rejoicing because he's restored you back to the land, but just such a sweet moment for that nation where the Lord did restore them and now they're at a place where they can respond with the appropriate emotions for what their nation has gone through. If they could have responded that way when Josiah responded that way, I wonder if we would be reading a different history with the nation of Judah. But uh, there, there's really two parts just to this small section I want to zoom in on today. Um, The first one is Habakkuk's posturing of his own soul. And this is interesting to me. He saw the nations in imminent trouble and he stationed himself. It says in verse one, I will stand on my guard post and station myself on the fortification. 
But it's interesting, he didn't station himself to watch for the enemy. So he wasn't like listening to talk radio or like listening to all the super secret guys on Rumble. He wasn't trying to get the enemy intel. He stationed himself on the guard post to wait for the Lord and to wait for him expectantly. I'm not going to talk about that piece because actually before we leave on sabbatical, Allie's teaching next week and she's gonna be teaching on waiting with the Lord. Um, but I just wanna point out, like this is what he set himself up to do as a, as a watchman. Like I meet so many like watchmen. See these quotations I'm making with my claw hands? I mean, so many watchmen that like fill themselves with so much like news and secular information. And then that's how they consider themselves as a watchman because, you know, they're not ignorant of the enemy schemes. And now you don't want to be ignorant of the enemy schemes. You want to be aware. But like when that is what you wait on day and night, that's what you posture yourself to, to like have that information intake. And there's not a posturing of yourself before the Lord. Something's wrong. And it's a stark contrast to how Habakkuk has postured himself. And it's interesting, the language you, because he's like, I'm stationed in the guard post. And, you know, in a typical guard post, you're watching out for the enemy, right? If you're stationed on the wall as a watchman, typically you're watching out for the enemy, but he's not watching out for the enemy. He's like, I'm in my guard post waiting for the Lord. Um, but I, I think the discipline in it is it's very easy to point to trouble. It's very easy to find trouble. It's very easy to turn on the radio or whatever. And I'm not saying don't watch the news or stay ill-informed. I think it's extremely important that you're informed. But the point is, is it's easy to turn on those things and find the trouble. And so... What I see in Habakkuk here is someone who's not just leaning into the trouble, but really wants the pure word of the Lord. And he's leaning into him for the prophetic revelation that will bring restoration to the land. Or at the very least, safeguard the people through a time of tribulation. The people who will listen. And uh, Ezekiel 9 actually talks about those who sigh and groan over the abominations committed in the city of God before judgment breaks out and those people are marked safe. And so he's calling a people to repentance so that they can go through the tribulation in a safe, protected way under the hand of the Lord in that Psalm 91 way. Because remember, we've taught through the conditions of Psalm 91. It's not just a witchcraft spell that you just lob in the atmosphere and you're protected, but it's like, no, you dwell in his secret place. You love him and you know his name and you do those things and then the promise of protection will follow you. So anyway, like he's stationed himself before the Lord for the prophetic revelation for his generation to call people to repentance for protection or perhaps restoration. And this is where we find the prophet on the guard post, the place of urgency waiting for the voice of the Lord. So that, that was the first part. The second part is God's response to his posture. And so, yes, God gives a vision to Habakkuk, and it's a fascinating book, especially considering the time frame and being able to read that with Jeremiah and Zephaniah, um, and then, you know, reading in Kings and Chronicles of Josiah's reign, but then the things that he saw as Babylon comes, and you start reading about the wicked kings and the political environment that was going on during that time. 
but the second part, you know, God's re- response to this prophet's posture, God gives the vision to Habakkuk, but before the vision, God gives him instructions, and it's specific instructions so that he can take his personal revelation and then raise up a community to respond to the vision in their day. And even in our generation. And so to do this, God says, write down the vision, make it clear and to the point so that those who read it can take appropriate action. Now, this word vision is not just a mere like business strategy. You know, if you work with a company, like every company, every good company is gonna have a vision. Like this is what we're building our company towards and this is the people who we are and it doesn't necessarily dictate the missional details because those are kind of the smaller details, but it dictates, you know, the thing that we're setting our eye upon in the horizon so as we walk towards it, like, whatever our mission is down here, if we keep our eye on that, like we're all going to in the same direction. So the missional details are kind of my, like, they're just details to me. And there are things to be discussed, but uh, again, I think recalibrating our vision in this season is uh, what's most important. And then I think we'll spend some time next year looking at some of the, some of the details. But God says to write the vision, make it clear, take appropriate action. And uh, the point of this was to bring up a corporate people to respond to the word that was given. Um, Now again, like the vision word, it's not just, you know, like this is our plan or it's not a cheap vision or like someone's good idea. But vision actually means prophetic revelation. So as Habakkuk's leaning in, what are the things that he's seeing and hearing from the Lord to get that revelation? And it's the same word that's used in Proverbs that says without vision, the people perish. Without prophetic revelation, the people perish. But happy is he who keeps the law, is uh, Proverbs 19.18. And uh, so this is not a cheap vision, and he knows this, and this is why he's postured himself in this deep way to just wait on the Lord, where like you come to the end of yourself, like, I don't have really any good ideas. I'm not that smart. God help. You speak. What are you saying in our generation right now? And so we know from some of the past sessions on what is the prophetic, um, our love for the law in this house, that it's the kind of vision that gives you sight like into the scriptures, that opens up your heart to see what is in your own land in real time and gives us the necessary preparedness to endure tribulations and or equip us with the tools to bring restoration. So again, the second thing is just God's response to the posture that creates the context for a corporate people to rise up and respond. Uh, The last thing I want to point out that's still related to the corporate response of this is just kind of cool to me. And so this is more of a FYI, this is kind of a neat thing. 
Um, But the last thing I wanted to point out in the passage is, yes, the prophet writes this down as a message, and we read it as words on a page like, you know, you'd read a book. So he wrote it down for others to read it, right, and run with it. But what really formed the community around specifically Habakkuk's prophetic message was song. So remember that King Josiah, who was king of Judah, we discussed him a little bit, but uh, during that time again, when this word was given, he was one of the few kings that took the idols out of the temple and brought the liturgy of David's tabernacle back into the temple. So you had the Moses tabernacle liturgy going on with you know, typically the offerings and the sacrifices that we mostly associate with the Old Testament. Um, But then he put David's liturgy in the temple, and so these are putting the singing Levites back into place. It was David's culture of ministering to God with intercession and prophecy and song and music. Like, that was restored in Josiah's day. And if you look at the very last line of Habakkuk, you could turn there at the end of chapter 3, you look at the very last line of this prophecy or this vision, it says, for the choir director on my stringed instruments. Now, remember, Paul told us to teach each other with songs, hymns, and spiritual songs. And this is what Habakkuk did with his revelation. So it wasn't just a writing it down and handing out like tracts and pamphlets to people. But as a musician filled with the Spirit, He set the vision of the Lord to music in order to communicate the information. And then what does music do? Communicates the feeling of the information. So the emotion and the spirit of the vision to others. And this is such an urgent call and such a beautiful example to kind of modern musician church culture. um, To really just come out of the acceptance of mediocrity and take your craft seriously. And so, yes, lead worship, but like Paul says, you're also a teacher. So teach each other in songs, hymns, spiritual songs, or in this case with Habakkuk, with the liturgy of the tabernacle of David being restored in his day, it goes a step further from just teaching to prophesying the testimony of the Lord in your generation and using song to do it. And so it's a tragedy that for decades we've let Satan continue to disciple generations through music. And this is a recent development. Most of our... Um, the old classic musicians before, you know, rock and roll was a thing. Um, most of our respected musicians or musicians that people would really gravitate towards, they were Christians. And they loved the Lord with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. And like out of the Renaissance and, you know, all the arts, like pointing to the beauty of Jesus, the music was doing that as well. And uh, it's only very recently that the devil has taken that from us, and we've just kind of let him have it. But I think it's such a beautiful example for us, even as musicians, and especially as a house of prayer, where music is intimately involved in our day-to-day and the things that we do, um, to consider the story and not get lost. In, and this isn't a dig at anyone specifically, but you know, in the typical church culture, what we usually don't see super skilled musicians and we're like, yeah, because it's about the heart. But we ignore the passages, sing a skillful psalm to the Lord 
or this person was put in this position on this choir, or he was in charge of the musicians. Why? Because he was skillful. And so getting to the place where we can capture that back and be able to take the word of the Lord and teach each other and prophesy to a point where like it will bring the feeling back through anointed musicians. And so again, like don't let Satan continue to, to disciple generations through music, but like you do it. Like it's our call to do that stuff. And I know like we're just our small little house and hardly enough to, you know, tip the scale. But if we can be a part of shifting culture in this area to raise up a, um, a mature artistry filled with the spirit and love and light, oh my goodness, to be able to put his beauty on display. And so this is one of the reasons why music is a big deal in this house. And it's not a formality, it's not a hobby, but it's prophecy, intercession, and incense to God as we seek to rebuild the liturgy according to David's tabernacle, even in the New Testament. And so now our vision at Sathop. I just thought that was fun. I was reading this, I'm like, wait a second. Like, was this a song to the choir on stringed instruments? And so I had to look up commentaries and like, yeah, in fact, this was a song. And uh, put within the context of that liturgy. And I just thought that was the coolest thing. Because it's not in with the Psalms. It's in with the minor prophets. So you don't think about the prophets being sung. But that was a song. Okay, so now our vision at Sathop. It has yet to be seen what God is raising up. Now I'm not just talking about Sathop. I'm talking about the global Big C Church. Um, and specifically, maybe more specifically, the church in America. It has yet to be seen what God is raising up, I think. And you have strong opinions on either side. And what I mean by that is, is he raising up an ark of safety so that when the floodwaters of tribulation come, there's a people that can rise above that and go through it safely? Or is he raising up his scepter, which is, you know, represents his kingly authority, is he raising us up to be his scepter that will bring restoration? Um, I personally think that there's elements of both. Maybe it's an arc of safety to go through the tribulation of partnering with him unto a restoration. And so I am not ready to give up on America. I know there are ministers out there that are giving up on America. There are ministers out there that are not giving up on America, but look, even if it's like things are supposed to get worse and Jesus is coming back next week, I feel like we still need this not on my watch mentality. Like, blessed is the steward who the master finds doing when he returns. And so I want to be that guy. I don't want to be the, well, things were supposed to get worse, so I buried my talent in the ground guy. I want to be fighting to be a righteous steward in my land. And I feel like we have a duty as a people to engage these things regardless of what we think about the end times. Now, I have opinions about the end times, but they're opinions. But regardless of those opinions or that guy's opinions, like, let's be doing. And so I think there's elements of each, and I think that America's not too far gone, and I think that we can see the restoration of righteousness, peace, and joy, which is the kingdom of heaven, according to Paul. 
I think we can see the restoration of these things. And I believe the church can take back the Christian constitutional republic that she started. Talked about that the last two times I was up. Um, which, if you miss the separation of church and state uh, sessions, we're still working on the website to get some of the teaching up, the current teaching and some of the old series. So that's not on the website now. But if you go to my personal YouTube channel, David Lee Brown at SA Tabernacle, um, then I think it's my latest upload. And I put two sessions in one video. So it's like two and a half hours or whatever. But that's when we went part one and part two on the separation of church and state and our role to engage the government and engage the political realm. But nevertheless, again, arc of safety or restoration. I think there's elements of both and we'll need safety while the restoration is happening. Um, But nevertheless, I believe that God is calling the church in our generation, I think what he's calling us to, it's designed to function from both. It's designed to be a protection because if we create like this corporate secret place and dwell with him, then it's like you have this corporate reality of Psalm 91 protection breaking out. But it's also interesting, it's that same place that also bleeds into places like Psalm 149 where we're gathered together before him, enjoying him, ministering to the Lord. But then there's this two-edged sword in your hand to execute vengeance on the nations. That's not my language, that's straight from Psalm 149. And so I think there's these elements of both. So as we like go through this vision, I don't think it's an either or, like, well, are we safe here or are we militant here? I think like, yeah, both. I think we're safe because we're militant, if that makes sense. And so because of this like global thing that is really in my heart, concerning the, our sat hop vision, that's a tabernacle house of prayer vision. Um, it's not to uh, presume like we're the only ones doing this. Like, I don't think it's exclusively our idea. Like I didn't really come up with it. Uh, my heart has been to see like, God, what are you doing? And I want to do that thing that you're doing. I believe our local vision is to be a part of a larger global heartbeat that unites us with the big C church and not to just presume like, presume we're some like off-branded special forces like church somewhere doing our own thing but to really be in unity with the body and uh it's a it's been an interesting road to walk because you're you know we're non-denominational I have some certain personal affiliations but they don't really mean anything as far as the governance of our body so I mean we could really be lone wolves if we wanted to but what I've seen the Lord do in the city since we've lived here is he's been calling churches, even like you guys know Thompson Chapel or Transformation Place they changed their name to. That was a church who recently like left their mainstream denomination to be a non-denominational church. And I remember them exploring like, what does covering look like? Because they were coming out from what covering had been defined for them, like since they've known what church is. And the Lord's calling them out of the denomination. But what we're seeing is regardless of denomination or affiliation, and like this goes into the Presbyterian churches, the Baptist churches that we've been working with, and then Assembly of God, all flavor of different non-denominational churches. And what we're seeing is leadership submitting to one another in love and building relationships. And so we're seeing the covering of our city really form together and happen in this unique place. And so... Again, I, I really want to stress like the vision and the mission of Sat Hop is not this disconnected, we're going to do our own thing, but 
see it intimately involved in the connection with what the Lord is doing as the covering really in regions and cities has been coming together to just love one another and be submitted to one another and in that sense. And it's been such a blessing to watch that. Um, so again, it's not an individualistic, lone wolf, prideful thing. It's honestly what I just see in scripture for our generation. And I feel like all the churches should be marching towards this general vision. Like the missional details, they're gonna be different. And this is why different local bodies are necessary. Uh, one of the reasons why they're necessary. But I just wanna highlight these four and then... Uh, we pray for so many things in this house. I want to pray for us um, tonight. But again, the first one, we're a family knitted together by the bond of love. And I kind of want to just take some time on some of these because I don't want them to just be words or, or just white noise or like, yeah, we've heard that before. But the first word, like family, like our desire to actually have meaningful, deep, relational knowing of one another. Um, as far as, as we can. Now, everyone has their sphere, and Jesus had sphere where he had, you know, John and then the th- James, John, and Peter, then he had the 12, then he had his larger group of disciples, then he had the multitudes. And so, you know, we're all only each just one person, and so not not everyone can go deep with everyone um, in an equal sense, but that there would be a spirit of a buy-in to like really getting to know one another and having those people that are close that can pour in to your life, that you can pour in, that you can get to know, that you can grow in intimacy with. And then as you go out from your sphere, like as deep as you can go with some of the outer rings, like do it meaningfully and like really get to know people the best you can and fall in love with them. Even personality types that rub you wrong. Like I have found it so much fun to like the personalities that I would naturally run away from or be annoyed by to on purpose just engage those people and just ask the Lord, like they show a part of your beauty. I don't know what it is, but help me. And he's faithful to answer that. And it's been so cool to uh, just get to know like different folks. Like I don't wanna embarrass anyone here, but sometimes like the really intense guys, really bug me because I'm like, chill out, dude. Um, Not everything's so serious. Have fun, laugh a little. But then like the intense guys will get annoyed at me because they're like, do you take anything serious? You're such a goof off. (laughs) And so like I know like that, and I'm aware of other tensions with other personality types. And so it's, it's been so much fun since the Lord shifted our heart into this family focus of don't be a dysfunctional family, but be like a good example. The church should be the best example of what family should look like. And it should be able to create the context to heal wounds from broken families as people learn what the family is supposed to be. And so I've just been, I'm having fun like learning the language of different types of people 
and I really feel like I've touched something unique in Paul's phrase where he says, I become all things to all men that I might save some. I know it's not like the absolute context Paul was talking about, but I still think the principle applies. Like before I got saved, it's like I wouldn't become all things to all men, but I would learn all men so that I could manipulate all men after being saved. Now it's like this skill, the redemption of that skill has been to learn all men so that I know how to be a servant to them. If that makes sense. And that's been, it's just been a pleasure. And so like really that family thing. And one of the things about family is you don't get to pick your family. And it's interesting. Like I never hand selected like you guys to be a part of my ministry. Like you guys just come and keep coming. And I think it's a miracle that you keep coming. Bless you. (laughs) And uh, it never gets old. And so the, the point is, like, you know, I'd pick you now, definitely, because I know you. But, like, before I knew you, like, I'd, I didn't pick you. So, but it's that same principle. <laughs> oh, gosh. So many feet in my mouth tonight. I told, I warned you guys, tonight's going to be different. Anyway, um, you don't pick your family. You learn how to, like, live and communicate, resolve conflict and fall in love with one another. And uh, you, you know, the pattern that I've noticed in my own life is conflict resolution is such an important part of being a family. The church, people in general just aren't skilled at conflict resolution because like that's, that's a bad word. You would, I am the personality type that would just rather stuff it inside. Like, I don't want to talk about it. I'm okay. Like, just let me go to sleep. I'll wake up in the morning. I'll be fine. But the problem is like, it's never dealt with. And so something similar happens and it's just these things that build up till you get to a boiling point where you either just like have your nervous breakdown or you just go Hulkamania on someone. Um, But what I have found with my wife, my children, my family members, even with getting to know you guys, is once you get skilled at conflict resolution, then it's like you have the real tools for intimacy to be able to communicate with people at a different level. Where when there is no conflict and you can start engaging people in a communication plane that really begins to unlock their heart and who they are. And one of the greatest ways to do that is just ask a question, then shut your mouth, let them answer, and then actually listen. And it builds so much relationship, but I feel like, again, that missing piece coming back to conflict resolution if I can encourage us in anything, like don't be scared of that piece. And conflict doesn't have to be scary, like just approach it real matter of fact, of course, like in prayer and everything, but it doesn't have to be this ah, tense thing, but just like, hey, when you did this, like what were you feeling? Or, you know, there's, there's different ways. I'm not gonna teach on conflict resolution tonight, but just to kind of put that on the radar. Like if you're not skilled there, you're not gonna be skilled in intimacy. And in every, like, personal counseling we've seen with folks and then my own journey. It's like you have to take that ground of 
becoming skilled in conflict resolution before you can move on to those greater places of intimacy. And so I just wanted to encourage you in that. But communication is one of those things in family that has to take place for the true care and compassion and humility to really arise. Because you can have no communication skills and not really engage anyone to resolve conflict or issues that are going on or create intimacy through your words and stuff in everything inside and kind of hide behind this false humility thing because it's like, oh, I just don't want to talk. But uh, I would encourage you to really engage that because those are the things that's going to bring you to the next part of that phrase where a family knitted together. And so those are the things that's going to really, really knit you together. Um, I, the first time this happened, I remember Allie locked me in my office because we were having a conflict about something. And uh, this was before I was on my, this is what started my I love to communicate journey. Um, because before I just didn't know how to communicate. So what do, you, what do you men typically do when they get frustrated and can't communicate? You either storm off, maybe slam a door, punch a hole in the wall, throw a thing at another thing. Um, Allie kind of had enough of that. She's like, you're going to learn to talk stuff out. So she locked me in my office. We were there for three hours and she would ask me a question and I wouldn't even know. Five hours. Okay, three hours before I talked and then we talked for another two. So five hours total. So I was kind of right. Like we were there three hours and I would just, she asked me one question and I just didn't even know what to say. And you know, an hour would go by. I'm like, can you let me out now? She's like, I'm not letting you out till we like resolve this. I'm like, I got to go to the bathroom. She's like, I don't care. (laughs) Anyway, it's just that five hour experience, five hours total of finally after that three hour period, I was trying, I found something in me to help start like communicating and let the words flow. Guys, it wore me out. I was so tired. It was aggravating when it was done. I'm just like, oh my goodness. Well, I went to bed. I woke up the next morning and I felt great. And I just had such fond like feelings and memories of that time in our office that I honestly, I was ready to do it again. I'm like, hey, let's resolve some more conflict. That was amazing. I feel great. And, uh, So anyway, it was just interesting. Like that became the piece that began to really knit us together in a new way in the season that we're in now. And so again, we're a family knitted together by the bond of love. And this is probably the newest component of who we are at SA Tabernacle. And it's been since we were at Broadway is when we kind of started shifting into this area and considered it important Uh, Many of you are familiar with the story. Like we started, and we still are a house of prayer, but the main mission was we're here to pray. We're here to burn incense to God. We're gonna be like holy and consecrated. We're gonna be very serious. And if you're not here to pray, then like I don't want anything to do with fellowship. And we were just kind of mean and grumpy people unless you were like really in like the main clique. So we probably ran off a whole lot of people at the beginning. So if you're one of those that has been with us from the beginning and survived that, like Sarah Beth and the Wards and Tree, <laughs> bless you guys. But uh, after that is when the Lord really began shifting like, hey, you guys really stink at loving one another and you need to be a family. And we're like, what does that even look like? And uh, really had no grid for that. But, uh, you know, we still want to take the house of prayer seriously. And we still want that to be the main missional component. But, like, 
Men, getting the second commandment right and being a family truly knitted together by the bond of love. Those are weighty words. Like imagine yourself like being knitted together. Have you ever seen your grandma knit something? Like she takes the string and like, you know, knits this thing and then pow, now you have an oven mitt or a sweater or a blanket or some like nice slippers or man, if someone would knit me some pajama pants, those would be cool. I've never had knitted pants. But look, right? You don't choose your family. You work it out because you realize like leaving them is not an option, at least in like a, a righteous, righteous family. And not saying people aren't called to different houses and different bodies and places and that we're, we're not a cult. We'll let you go if the Lord calls you. But the point is like this easy breakup culture that we have. Like, and it touches our marriage relationships and it touches our church relationships where like we just get mad over like the funniest things. But like if you're truly a people that's been knitted together by the bond of love, like there's something strong that keeps you from so quickly being able to be torn apart. And if there is something tragic that comes in, you know, like a pair of scissors that's gonna cut that knitting apart, it's never gonna be the same again because you just ripped that thing apart that was in tended to like be together. So even the, the word knitting, like that's just a deep word. And the reason it's so easy, like the breakup cultures become so easy is because we've become a people that can't communicate. Because we can't communicate, we can't grow in intimacy. And because we don't grow in intimacy, we're not knitted together anymore. And so since because, because we're not knitted together and we might be more magnetized to each other because it's like you know, that worship was magnetic or this was magnetic or I like this person or I like this, but I don't like that. It's a lot easier to just peel off your magnet and stick it to another refrigerator than it is to tear apart that knitting. And so allow love to knit your hearts to one another. And we've been seeing that the last few years and it's been really, really cool. Um, but again, it, it takes work. Relationships take work. And... Uh, I just honor like so many of us, like we've had seasons where it's like conflict has risen up in the house, but there's been no like big lasting divide. It's like these things work out and I'm just, and not work out in a shove under the rug type way, but like work out as in like parties are heard, like reconciliations made to the best that everyone can. And then we just continue walking together and it's been a beautiful thing. I've never been a part of a body that can actually do that. And, you know, I feel like I have a small part to play, but like you guys have a part to play in that too, because it would be just as easy for you guys to get upset and leave. And so I'm just like, thank you for like sticking around and buying into this being knitted together thing. Like, this is really cool. And again, we're not a cult. So if you got to leave, like leave, but let us pray for you first <laughs> so that we can bless you. Even if you start your own house of prayer, like across the street, like we'll bless it and we'll go to it. Man, I feel like that's such an important point and it was worth spending a lot more time on. We're a family knitted together by the bond of love. And that's really what's gonna keep the house of prayer component going. Like we've had a more impressive house of prayer operation before 
we had 120 hours a week. We'd have seasons of 24-7. And we had so many intercessors that would come in all the time, different pieces of the schedule. But uh, I remember when Corey Stark from Kansas City came when he did the first House of Prayer conference. And this is right when we hit like 126 hours a week. And now 24-7 is what, like 168 hours a week, I think. And so we were like pretty much 24-7. There was very few times where there wasn't anything going on in the prayer room. And even beyond our commitments, we'd have two groups of people that would always show up like, hey, can we come and worship? And I'm like, yeah, you can. And we lived there, so it was really easy to just let them in. Um, And so, you know, we've had days where the prayer room looked a lot more impressive and it was a little bit more organized than what it is now. And um, when Corey came and he's like, well, let me see your schedule. Like, how are you guys operating? What are you guys doing? And again, like family was not on the radar build the house of prayer. And so what's, you know, the typical house of prayer mindset is we need 24 seven now. So that's what we were building towards and it was growing and it was happening. Um, When Corey looked at the schedule that I had, I was very proud of myself because we weren't that, you know, old as a house of prayer. I didn't have anything really to compare it to because I, the only other house of prayer I really knew was Atlanta and IHOP in Orlando, the big ones that most people in the prayer movement know about. And uh, he looks at the schedule and I'm waiting for him to say like something, you know, complimentary. I said that word funny, but it's French. Um, he looks at the schedule and he says, wow, I've never seen someone do so much with so little because he's looking at the people coming and how big the schedule is. And so I, I took that as a compliment. And so I'm like, oh yeah. That's me. (laughs) And uh, his next words were, this is not good. And I'm like, what? I thought that was a compliment. He's like, no, this is is not a good thing. He's like, you got the people all so spread out. And he pointed to, um, I think it was Lori Sliz, because she had a time slot. And then he had pointed to Ashley Jacoby had a time slot. He's like, do these two people know each other? No, but they don't have to. We're house of prayer, right? And he's like, I bet you these guys don't know each other. I'm like, well, and so I started trying to like save myself. I'm like, yeah, but these people know each other. And uh, it, his point was like, the community that prays, they don't even know each other. And you don't even have a way to bring people together at the same time every week to you know rub shoulders and cast vision for the house of prayer and the community that's being built. Like there's no community life And he's like, this isn't gonna last. And uh, his phrase that had always stuck with me is like, you gotta bring the wood together to burn. And so that's when we had condensed the house of prayer hours to try to get people to come and at least with their time start overlapping a little bit um, and building more of a community in the house of prayer. So that's when these things begin to shift. And so like the house of prayer is always started out as a big priority. But I feel like because maybe some of my you know, visionary stuff for that was misplaced because it was out of balance with the family component because that really wasn't on the radar at all. It's like the Lord had to just kind of put pause on the house of prayer bit for a little bit so that we could really focus on the family component and grow that in a healthy way. 
And so this, again, we're a family knitted together by the bond of love. It's really the newest component, but it's been such a joy. It's been so much fun. And it's been, I don't know, like six years since then and probably about four years of a real intense focus on it. And uh, the fruit that it's producing has just been amazing. Um, But with that community, I've never been one that's like, I just want to play games all the time, even though like the games last night were fun, Ashley, thank you. And you know, game night's fun, but like, I don't want to be like just about games. I remember going to IHOP in Kansas City for the first time. And when I came out of the prayer room, like the prayer room was just glorious. But I come out of the prayer room and I go outside and those of you who've been there, you go outside in their coffee shop seating area to go into the coffee shop. And outside, people are talking about Jesus. I'm like, wow, that's really cool. And then I go inside, people are talking about Jesus. Even at the McDonald's one time when we went just down the road, like people were in there talking about Jesus. It's like, everyone's talking about Jesus. So it was just, they had this community life that I had seen as an outsider, but it was very specifically pointed on going after the beauty of Jesus. And so yes, intimacy with one another, but then using that intimacy to encourage one another into deeper love um, and a knowledge of the Lord. And so the second one, uh, of the vision is going deep in understanding and understanding and applying scripture. It's like we want to be people of the book and not just like a book, but his book because it's his words and they're living and active. Like we want to be a people that sets ourselves before the scripture on a regular basis. And not everyone has to be the brainiac, but just that we can open up the Bible and meet our friend there. The brainiac stuff will take care of itself. Trust me, like I'm a high school cheat and, uh, you know, all that stuff, hated to read. And the Lord has really healed my mind to understand scripture because I, my mouth would be filled with so many excuses. And, you know, the excuses on people's mouths that, you know, that don't have time to read the Bible, like one, you make time for the things that are important to you. So if it's really of importance, like you'll prioritize it more than you prioritize these other things that suck your time. But then some of the other strange things I see is, um, this is one I hear a lot. Um, Trying to frame it in a good way for you. But it's the idea that, you know, I'm just a simple person, and so I don't really wanna go after these deeper concepts. And so when I hear that from someone who actually has a job that they had to go to school for and learn deeper concepts for their vocation, won't apply those same faculties to scripture, and then when it comes to scripture, just say, well, I'm a simple person, and I'm not going to engage these things in that level. But then it's like, but you're an engineer, or you're a pilot, or you're a doctor. Like, you have the capacity to go there and you choose to turn it off when it comes to the word. But we in this house want to be a people that will turn that capacity on. If we don't have the capacity, trust the Lord to meet us as a person in the book and let him as a person like heal that capacity because he put us, 
put it in there for us to be able to see and understand the deep things of God. It's Holy Spirit, First Corinthians chapter two, that searches the deep things of God and reveals them to spiritual people. So you set yourself before the word as a spiritual person. You don't gotta figure it out, but you've got the search engine of heaven, the Holy Spirit, searching those deep things of God, and he tells you it. So again, it's not like you gotta figure it out. You just, like Habakkuk, set yourself as a watchman before the Lord and wait for him. He'll search the deep things of himself and he'll reveal it to you. But if there's not a discipline to live that lifestyle, it's never gonna come. So we wanna be a people of deep understanding and then the things that we do understand actually do it, right? Just be doers of the word and not hearers only. And you know, we're so blessed in the West. Sometimes people look at like the commentaries and the different Bible translations we have in English, all the Christian books and the systematic theologies, and we have so much Christian literature. And the tendency is to look at that and like, you know, we have like all this waste. Like, do we really need all that? Like, man, what an awesome privilege, privilege this is that we actually have all that. Like the fact that we have it and don't reach for it, I think is more of an indictment. And so not to look at it as waste, but to look at it as a blessing that the Lord has given the English speech speaking cultures so that we can like go after the deep things of God and then take those deep things and be a light and share the things that we've learned. And... Uh, Like, I want to be a people of encounter, like we're a charismatic house, but we don't sacrifice the Bible to do spiritual things. Like, our spiritual things and our chasing of the encounter comes from our pursuit of the Lord and the Word. And it's the revelation of His Word that really just leads you to deep places of His heart. And the third one is keeping vigorous private and corporate lives of prayer. Now, this can look like a lot of things like the intercession and we do intercession and prayer and, and those things. But the biggest component I want to highlight tonight is just the continual conversation. Like talk to God always. Pray without ceasing. Like always have your heart in a posture of thanksgiving and contentment, um, even if you're not speaking anything. Um, just always carry that contentment and thanksgiving on your heart because that awareness there keeps you engaged just in the conversation constantly. And so being a people that is always engaged in the conversation with the Lord, always engaged in the corporate life of prayer as well. And so we'll, when I say corporate life, that starts getting into the missional details of keeping a prayer room before the Lord, and we'll talk about these things in January. But uh, being a people of prayer. And the fourth one really touches on, begins touching on the missional aspects, but just in a general sense, the prayer room and our daily lives and keeping that conversation going, like being a people that gives unceasing adoration to Jesus because he's worth it. The reason I'm whole, wholly bought into the house of prayer reality and building up unceasing day and night prayer, unceasing adoration for Jesus is because when I got saved, like the tabernacle of David of sorts was built inside me in my heart. It's just 24-7, I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you. And then if I had a need, I love you, I love you. Um, can, we, can you do something about that or can you heal that? And then yes, and then it would happen. And then just go back to I love you, I love you, I love you. 
And so just that infatuation, like resting in my heart, that when I came across like what that global house of prayer was, it just arrested my attention in a moment because it made sense, just practically made sense because this day and night worship was going on in my heart. So it's like, oh, there's a corporate expression of what's going on in my heart. I wanna do that the rest of my life. So those are really the four things. We're a family knitted together by the bond of love, going deep and understanding and applying scripture, keeping vigorous private and court. Uh, keeping vigorous private and corporate lives of prayer and giving unceasing adoration to Jesus. And really this all, it all just boils down to the simplicity of the first and the second commandment, to love the Lord with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. So my prayer is that we would just again get a corporate passion renewed to to the vision of what is the house of prayer. Like we'll talk about specific missional components later. But if we can be that kind of people, feel like nothing will be impossible. And if we posture ourselves there, like that's the place of safety in the coming storm. But it's also what the Lord is building on earth as his scepter to be stretched out over the nations as the rule and reign of Jesus is continually made manifest and his kingdom is increasing and knows no end. So if we keep this vision before us, again, whether storm or restoration, like I feel like whatever comes, like we'll be a people full of joy because we're in the house of prayer. And that's the promise in Isaiah 56 to the house of prayer is I'm gonna bring you guys there to my holy mountain and I'm gonna make you joyful there. And so Allie and Sarah Beth, we can come back up. And I wanna have a time of uh, just personal prayer between you and the Lord. Um, And if you don't, I don't think it's up on the website yet, but maybe even like snap a picture of that so you have it on your phone, unless you took notes and wrote down the vision. But it's written down plainly. It's not a stone tablet. It's like a foam tablet. But just ask the Lord, like, let me burn for that vision again. Like, it's been over eight years, and some of you have been with us longer um, than others. And uh, I just want us all to be in unity around the passion of what kind of people we are. It's a people of depth of relationship with God, with others, depth in the word and depth in prayer. It's really that simple. So Lord, I love you. I thank you for giving me the dream of my heart. I remember sitting on my couch, reading the Bible, just so in love with you, and I said, God, can you get me a job where all I get to do is 
talk to you and read the Bible all day. And you've done it. And so I thank you for the family that you are, are raising up in San Antonio to build the house of prayer. I thank you for the other ministries and the friends that we've gotten to work with. I just ask that the vision that you've given our generation, not through just us, but like many leaders through the last several decades, seeing what was coming in future generations and being able to warn and give instructions to the church. We thank you for the songs and the teaching. Thank you for the prophetic declarations that have been spoken through these last several decades. And Father, we just want to participate with what you're doing. And so we thank you for making these things plain. We trust your leadership. ask you for that promise from Isaiah 56. Would you break our routine and make us joyful in the house of prayer? Thank you for your grace and your strength. To grow into these things. And we just thank you for passion being restored to the vision that you're releasing. We love you. Amen and amen.